The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. All right. Hi, everyone. We have another guest here today, and I'm actually with a dental attorney. So, Matt, if you could introduce yourself a little bit and tell us about your background. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Haley. Uh, my name is Matt Lamaster. I am an attorney. And as Haley said, the term dental attorney uh, does get thrown around, but um, really my focus is working with dentists. So there's really no such thing as uh, a dental attorney, but there are attorneys that focus and you know have experience working with dentists. So um, my background, I've been licensed for about 12 years and um, I was actually licensed in Florida. I went to law school down there and uh, worked for a large firm. And from, uh, it was about 11 years ago, I moved up to Michigan uh, with my wife and we were, um, you know, planning on maybe starting a family and our families are around here. So we moved back home and um, worked for a dental practice, um, helping them grow and also worked for an IT company that worked with dentists. And so was able to connect with the community and really enjoyed working with dentists and um, just really kind of appreciated the industry. And I got to a point where I wanted to become an entrepreneur and work for myself. And I saw an opportunity to help dentists. Um, There's also an attorney actually out of Chicago that was kind of my mentor. And I saw that, you know, this was actually a thing. Like there are attorneys that can focus and make a living and, and a life <laughs> just helping dentists. So um, I did that. But when I started my firm, I also... Um, you know, wasn't sure if I was going to be able to make it just helping dentists. So I also decided to help um, veterinarians and some other healthcare type of practices. But um, for the most part, like I would say probably 90 plus percent of my clients are dentists and uh, the rest are veterinarians and kind of the rest of the healthcare field um, I haven't focused on. So um, yeah, I have my own firm. It's me and a paralegal. And I've had my own firm now for um, just about eight years. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Like I said, I enjoy, um, helping dentists and it's what we do every day. So. That's awesome. And I've been fortunate to hear you speak at a bunch of different events at our dental school, because you're also based in Michigan, like you said. So for me, I understand the importance of working with an attorney when you're going into contracts and looking to get your first job as an associate, but just to kind of backtrack and make sure everyone listening to this conversation is on the same level Can you break down just why it's important to work with an attorney before you go and sign an employment agreement? Yeah, well, I think the first, you know, the first thing really is um, I I know what it's like to come out of, you know, a professional school, right? I went to law school. You guys are going to dental school. And there's so much that we learn about the quote unquote practice of what we're doing, um, which is super important. We need that. But we also need to know um, some real life examples and, and, you know, um, just what to do. And um, when you look at an employment agreement, they are typically drafted not for you. They're not drafted by you and they're not drafted for you. (laughs) And so I think the really important thing, uh, and I really try to, you know, hone in on this, is first educating you as a dental student about what the thing even says. I mean, you know, it could be a couple pages long or it could be, you know, 20 pages long. 
And you didn't go to school probably to read a contract. <laughs> and so the first thing is educating. I think that's the really important thing. Um, and then, you know, with that, there's experiences that I have that I can kind of tell you what's normal, maybe what's not normal, what to look out for and what red flags are. So I think the importance is, um, you know, like I don't have experience drilling on a tooth. <laughs> um, and so you wouldn't want me to do that and um, kind of vice versa, you know, and there's certain, I mean, clearly you guys can read, right? You're smart enough to read. I'm not smart enough to drill a tooth, um, <laughs> but there is, um, you know, there's nuances. And like I said, I think that when I go through these conversations with people, there are, um, there are things that some students think are normal and they're not. And they either may be getting uh, one of two things happening they might be getting taken advantage of, but also they might actually be getting a really good deal <laughs> and, and I think it's a great opportunity, but they don't know it. And that's happened sometimes as well. So I think just really giving perspective and education. Um, and then the other thing that I try to do too is I try to empower you guys with the knowledge to then have conversations with the potential employer. Um, you know, some attorneys will insert themselves in the negotiation. And oftentimes when an attorney gets involved, if it's not the right one or they're not going about it the right way, um, relationships can break down. And so um, I usually kind of take a back seat and I'm a resource for you um, to tell you and you know educate you and empower you to negotiate it yourself. So when is the right time for a D4 to get in touch with a dental attorney? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, Definitely when you have a contract, like I think that would probably be the the last point when <laughs> when I would contact, you know, a dental attorney. Um, and it kind of depends on who it is, honestly, like some are more just about like reading a piece of paper versus educating you. So if it's somebody that's more and there's other guys out there that do this as well. Right. So if it's somebody that's more educational, um, potentially when you start negotiating that contract, um, and it depends on what you're looking for. Um, you know, Haley, you and I have a, I think, a great relationship and some of your colleagues, I do too. And I'm happy to have those conversations with people um, to help them early in that process to help them out. And, and I don't charge them for that kind of stuff. And so if it's a perfect answer, Haley, it's as early as possible. Like create a relationship with somebody like myself. Hopefully, you know, they're not charging you and learn from somebody like myself early as possible. But at the but at the latest moment, like if you get a contract, you just need to have somebody take a look at it. Um, you know, you guys oftentimes do have some information at school and you're able to get um, a couple particulars of things to negotiate. And when I get those um, contracts, you know, let's say somebody's going to get paid 28 percent of collections <laughs> and they've already negotiated that. If they already negotiated that and I didn't get to tell them beforehand, hey, you know, maybe more like 30%, you should be shooting for like 30%. If you, know, if you can get 35, great. But like, if we didn't already have that conversation, then you have to go back then to the employer and that can be an uncomfortable thing. So the earlier we get involved, the better. And is it kind of expected to, I guess, or is it possible if someone's maybe between two offers, like it's common for people to have like a DSO offer or a private practice. And they're like, I don't know, pros and cons to both. Can you help me like get the best offer out of both and then decide from there? 
Yeah. So I, again, I'm, you know, everybody kind of operates a little bit different from the attorney perspective, I would say. Um, I'd be ha- I'm happy to have conversation with somebody and ways and weigh the pros and cons um, because each one does have, you know, pros and cons. So um, weighing those two in a conversation, I'm typically happy to do. And I think that's a good idea to have a conversation with somebody that you trust. I will say that giving an attorney two contracts to review is probably not the most cost effective thing to do. So because I've had people do that and ultimately it's just more time because you're reviewing two full contracts. So instead of reviewing the full contracts, having the conversation about the offer on the front end would be a good idea. The contracts are probably going to look quite different, though. And do you, I guess, just broadly speaking, do you find that private offices are are more flexible when it comes to what's going to go in the contract compared to DSOs? I would say typically that is the case. Um, Typically, a private office will be more flexible. And that's because a DSO has to have systems in place and a structure in place and they can't deviate, they, which makes sense. Like if they had a, if you had a hundred employees and you had a hundred different contracts, like that would be very hard to administratively, you know, oversee. So it makes sense why they can't, a DSO cannot, you know, waver too much. So typically they'll have ranges of things and items that they're willing to negotiate. Whereas like a private office, a lot of them don't even know <laughs> They don't even know what their contract says. They've just found one online or they've pulled one from a friend. And so you say, hey, can we change this? A lot of times they don't even know what it means. And they just go, sure, (laughs) we'll change that. Um, So you're really dealing with two, you know, definitely two different um, backgrounds and reasons why they can't change. I have had, though, I will say this. I've had had some private practices that also because they don't know what it says, they're afraid of changing it. They, they, they don't know that it's okay to change something because they just got a contract from their friend or they got a contract from an attorney and they're afraid to reach out to their attorney and ask questions because it costs money. And so sometimes some private practices are just like, oh, well, I can't change that. And it's because they don't know what it means and they're just afraid to change. So. And then talking about changing contracts, maybe negotiating, once we've talked to you and we feel educated about, okay, this part of the offer, I would love to see a higher percentage or something. Do you feel like new dentists are actually getting what they're asking for a lot of the time? Are we like in demand enough to negotiate these contracts? Yeah, that's a, that is a great question. (laughs) Um, So I think I think it depends if if we take a big step back on, you know, what can you negotiate and are you getting the things that you're asking for? In my experience, it depends upon the person asking, <laughs> um, the location that the work might be in, and then also the employer. And so, you know, one thing that I find is some D4s have five different friends and their different friends have five different offers. And they, what they'll do is they'll take the best thing from all five offers and try to say, Oh, well, I want this from an employer. And it might be, let's say $2,500 in CE, um, a guarantee of 
I don't know, let's say a thousand dollars a day or something like that, you know, um, uh, 35% of adjusted produ production pay, um, you know, a non-compete that's, you know, let's say one mile in one year or something. I'm just saying like all these crazy things and like that's negotiating something like that is very difficult, right? So I would say negotiating things that are reasonable. Can you get them? Yeah. I mean, I, I do know that, um, a lot of employers are willing to have conversations or listen to you. And then I think it's a matter of how you present that conversation. So if it's, um, you know, something like higher pay, the conversation might be um, around, well, you know, here's how much I'm able to produce. And I, I've seen this, you know, in clinic or, you know, my rotations and, um, you know, the more I produce, the more money you're able to make employer. And so, you know, if, if you're making more money, then it makes sense to have me paid more or maybe a higher daily rate. And you can tell them, well, the reason why I need a higher daily rate is because, you know, I have these bills and you can, you know, this is what I have to make, or maybe I'm living in this area and this is the cost of living here that, you know, needs to be higher. Like there, if you provide an explanation on the why you want more or why you need to negotiate more, I think most are willing to listen. Um, whether they're willing to give it to you or not, you know, <laughs> it's up to them and the situation. But I think what I what I find is when some, you know, D4s go to negotiate a contract or any employee for that matter, if they just say, I want this or I deserve this, it doesn't go well. You know, nobody wants to hear that. And so are you in demand enough? Yeah, I do think you are. I mean, you are you are still in demand where people are going to at least listen to you, I think, about what you're asking for. Um, there are other, you know, like uh, just to give you a sense of this, like veterinarians are, uh, there's just not enough of them and there's not enough of them coming out of school where they can almost demand what they want. <laughs> and and you, you're not there, but you're also not on the other end where there's just way too many of you coming out of school, like there was a lot of lawyers when I was coming out of school and there were so many of us that like, it was hard to find a job, you know, it was like 2011. So I think you can negotiate. It's just a matter of how you go about negotiating it. Don't demand, explain um, in a, in a not, Hey, I know everything type of way, but in a, this is where I'm coming from. What do you think employer? Okay. Let's come to a solution. Yeah, I think that's really great advice because I've seen it too with peers, maybe a year ahead of me or in my own class that they just hear a number from someone else and they're like, I better get that number because I deserve that number. And they go into the conversation like I want instead of 30, I want 33. And if they don't give me 32, I'm walking. And it's like 1% difference when you're so in control of what that overall production is. 1% won't make that big of a difference. It's so much more on you as the dentist, like your skills. Yeah. So I feel like it can create kind of a bad dynamic if you really do want to work with this employer, if you're too much like nickel and diming. Sure. And things like, um, you know, what is the non-compete? So if if you were going to pay me, look, you could pay me 100% of what I did, but if I could not compete within 20 miles or 25 miles, no, I, I wouldn't sign that, right? So, well, how long is the notice provision, let's say? You know, if I have to provide you 90 days notice, 
but and you're going to pay me 33% or you're going to pay me 32% and I only have to provide you, you know, two weeks notice. Like those things, those things do matter because likely, likely you're not going to stay at the job that the first job you work at right out of school. And so you need to really consider what are the obligations that you're signing in this contract and what's the, what I mean by that is like, what's the restrictive covenant and what does termination look like in the contract? Because that's ultimately what's probably going to happen. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just likely going to happen. And so what am I getting for what am I giving up? <laughs> um, and so again, you go back to that 35%. Well, if I was to get paid 30%, but didn't have a non-compete, that might not be a bad thing <laughs> for a particular person. Yeah, those are all really good points. And you touched on a lot of different elements that people can try to look through in their contract to better understand what the overall offer is. And it's funny because like you're so excited about the job and you're excited to work there and you hope it'll work out, but you spend so much time looking at all the clauses for what happens if you leave? Mm -hmm. Because that's a lot of what you're saying. The original contract is written for the benefit of the employer, not for you, the dentist, associate. So it's important to make sure those clauses are maybe a little bit more in your favor, or at least balanced. I know was something we talked about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, um, the, the termination provision itself and then the restrictive covenants, that's really what you're, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's what you have to keep an eye on in the future for what did I give up by signing this contract? Because you kind of asked Haley, like, do we have negotiating power? I mean, yes, I think you do, but do you have a ton? It's like, you don't have all the leverage in the deal if you want a job. <laughs> and I remember coming out of school, like I wanted a job, but not only did I want a job, I needed a job. So if you need a job and you need to work, then what am I going to give up by, by signing a contract? And that's really what, you know, we look at a lot of other things, you know, compensation and things like that too, but like, what am I giving up by signing it? And you make an educated decision going in on what am I giving up? You're in a much better position when you do leave um, to know what that future looks like. The, what really breaks my heart is when I get calls from people who are like, hey, I want to buy a practice or I want to go work over here, but I signed this and I didn't have anybody look at it. Or I did, but I didn't understand what the termination meant and that I had to give three months notice and you know what five miles meant. I mean, I had a guy one time that thought that a five mile radius was driving directions. And I'm like, somebody maybe could have said, you know, <laughs> a radius is a radius, <laughs> not driving directions. And so again, I think going into the contract, understanding what you're going to sign is is a really big part of it because you need a job likely. Yeah. And that like restrictive covenants, I think are something people might not have heard to think about when they're picking where they want to work initially. Because like we were saying, your first job is probably not your forever job, especially if you know you want to buy a practice eventually. So what do you think is, I guess, a safe radius to work away from the place that you want to buy a practice eventually? Yeah. I mean, so I guess it kind of depends on it. The, the big answer is it does depend, but like um, for folks who probably want to buy a practice or start up a practice, you know, 
there's two pieces of a restrictive covenant that are really critical. It's the non-compete, which is that it's the, the X, Y, Z. So you can't do X in Y area for Z period of time. That's, that's your non-compete portion. Then there's the non-solicit. And so when we look at a non-compete, as long as it's clear on where that radius starts from and how long it is and what you can't do, anybody can do that math pretty clearly, I think. Um, and so to answer your question about like, well, how far do you think you should be from where you might want to buy a practice? You can do that math pretty clear. It's the non-solicit sometimes that actually has this carryover of, I want to advise you to be far enough away where you honestly don't think your patients from your office that you're about to work at are going to come see you at your new office. And I know that sounds weird from a business perspective. It's like, well, of course I want them to come you know, over here. But usually the language in these non-solicit provisions, which again is different than the non-compete, will have some limitation on what you can do with the patients that you were seeing at your former employer's office. And so like, I would like to give enough buffer where chances are there's just not going to be some mass exodus of patients at the, the employer you just worked at, where there's going to be a question whether or not you're breaching your non-solicit because we can do the math on the non-compete and say, oh, we've checked that box. You're not breaching that. So, you know, I mean, in, in general, I would probably say, like, give it an extra five or 10 miles at least. <laughs> um, you know, when you when you do something, you got like a five mile non-compete and you open up 5.1 miles away. Employees start calling you. Hey, I want to come work for you. I really like you. You know, you're like, gosh, I, oh, yeah, I mean, it'd be great to work with you. And now I have a hygienist that I like or an assistant that I like. You typically can't do that. <laughs> um, patients start calling you and want to see you. And it's just like, it's difficult. It's difficult for you to navigate that without breaching it and burning a bridge. So give yourself space. I mean, like if you want to work, you know, in uh, Ann Arbor, like that's where you want to own a practice, go work in Flint, maybe. That's probably a good distance away, you know, Um or Commerce Township where I am, and um, don't go work in maybe Chelsea or you know like Plymouth or like something that's that's much closer because there could be some carryover. Um, get yourself in a different city. Yeah, that's good advice. And I know the restrictive covenant components are a lot of what people come back later and say, "Man, I wish I didn't sign this." Is there anything else you often see people? like issues that they run into with contracts that they've already signed? Um, yeah, I think so. I think one of them is the termination provision. A lot of people don't understand what what it means to have to provide notice, I guess, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, I got to give my employer two weeks. And then they look and they're like, oh, my goodness, I, I said I had to give them 90 days. And I mean, it's pretty simple math. That's three months. Well, three months is a long time to work somewhere when you don't want to work there anymore. And I don't think people really think through that 90-day piece too much. And so they call me and they're like, hey, I want to leave. Well, you know, you, you can leave, but you might be in breach of the contract. And some contracts will have, um, a you know, a dollar figure uh, for each day that you didn't work as part of that notice period. So you want to be careful of that. So like if you had a 90-day notice period and you didn't stay to work, and you left like, let's say day 47, let's make it easy math, day 50, 
then you might be responsible for 40 days of, you know, $600 a day. So there can be a lot of money. So that one, but also um, that restrictive covenant, but again, it's sometimes it's the non-compete radius, but it's actually oftentimes more the non-solicit issue. And so the call I get is, hey, Matt, I left this job. I'm outside my non-compete, but I really like my assistant and she keeps calling and she and I really want to hire her. Can I? Or the hygienist. And that's the issue that comes up a lot is the non-solicitation, which you're going to have one probably. Um, it's just, what does it say? And we've talked a ton about associate contracts and everything to look for. But just so people are aware, when are some other times in their career that they would go back to their dental attorney and ask questions or need their services again? Yeah. So um, a big part of what we do is, um, you know, help people buy practices. Um, so if I'm looking through your your whole like life career as a dentist, it's the associate agreements when you're you know coming out of school and you know through school whether you're going to buy a practice we help with that or you're going to start up a practice we help with the startup of the practice as well so when we do a startup we negotiate the lease find you a place or help find you a place do things like that um and then create the business entities so we have to file you know with the state of Michigan when you create a company so we also help with that piece of it and then like once you own your practice, we help a lot of people actually draft the associate agreements to hire the associates. Or I oftentimes tell my clients, like I can be the first point of contact if I'm not the person to answer that question. I have, you know, resources where I can get you a referral. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I've had people call me about, you know, somebody passing away or getting an estate plan or, you know, things like that um, or even a divorce. And and so like, you know, they I can be the first point of contact. I won't do that work necessarily, but I'll refer it out. And then, um, you know, when they go to sell their practice, uh, we help sellers sell practices too. And, you know, we when we do a lot of lease negotiations, you might, like if you started up a practice and you were going to be in a space for 10 years, at some point, you're probably going to want to buy your own piece of real estate. And so we often, we often help with um, getting our clients out of their lease or not, you know, breaking their lease, but from their lease to a new building. So those are the things that we do. Awesome. So before we wrap up, do you have like a final take home message you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah. Um, like as a takeaway, I think the big thing is you guys have been educating yourself and probably tired, like to the point where you're <laughs> exhausted and tired at times, but you've been doing that for four years. And don't stop. Like, I know you're probably tired of having so much information put at you, but now is probably the time to really get practical with the information. Start learning about um, what it really looks like out there in the real world. And I would say get a team of advisors, a team of people that you trust, um, whether that's, you know, through your friends or other colleagues and, you know, probably have an accountant, maybe an attorney, um, depending on what you want to do in the future, you know, having a lending relationship with a bank, stuff like that, like have a have the good team around you and um, work with them because this is what we do. And I don't just look at one associate agreement. I look at, you know, 
an associate agreement or two every week. And so I can utilize the experience that I have to be able to help you and educate you. So continue to get educated, create a team of people. Um, and then the other thing I would say that's really important is if you don't have a mentor, like get a mentor. Um, at, at my stage now, you know, I've been practicing for 12 years. I really needed somebody to walk along this process with me. It would have, in, in hindsight, it would have helped me a lot. And at now where I'm at, I would love to be able to mentor a young attorney, you know? So I think there's dentists out there that are willing to help you. It's just kind of a big step and maybe uncomfortable step for you to ask them to be your mentor. I would really suggest that you guys do that. Thank you for all your advice today. If people have questions or want to work with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah. So, um, you know, I answer my cell phone. <laughs> I answer my office phone. I answer my email. Um, you know, we can provide some of that information to you um, if you're going to post it. But I would say, you know, feel free to reach out to me by email. Give me a call. Um, there's also on my website, there's a way to like contact me, which sends me an email and then I can reach back out to you. Um, don't like, don't hesitate. It's not, I know it's crazy. Like when you, oh my gosh, I'm going to call an attorney, but you know, I don't charge you to at least have an initial conversation. And so, although it's a big step, just take it. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. I'll put your website and info in the description of the episode, but thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.